The plan that DEA put together at the time was that they were going to do a million-dollar drug deal. And the drug deal was to happen in the city right next to us. General Lee and his bodyguard just figure it's some sleepy little town, and we'll just come and meet. No one think anything of it. We'll be a million dollars richer. When a serious crime is committed in a small town, a handful of detectives are charged with solving the case. I'm Yardley, and I'm fascinated by these stories. So I invited my friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to help me gather the best true crime cases from around the country and have the men and women who investigated them tell us how it happened. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins from small town USA. Dave investigated sex crimes and crimes against children. He's now a patrol sergeant at his police department. Dan investigated violent crimes. He's now retired. Together, we have more than two decades experience and have worked hundreds of cases. We've altered names, places, relationships, and certain details in these cases to maintain the privacy of the victims and their families. So we ask you to join us in protecting their true identities as well as the locations of these crimes out of respect for everyone involved. Thank you. Today on Small Town Dicks, this is very exciting. We have the usual suspects. We have Detective Dan. Hello. Hello. Good to be here. Good to have you. And we have Detective Dave. Back again. Back again. And this is a really big day. We have one of our original guests from multiple seasons, but who really helped kick off this podcast. We have Sergeant David. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Thank you for coming. Um, We're so pleased to see you. Well, good. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) So, Sergeant David, you always bring us these incredible cases, first of all, because your career is long and storied, and you've worked the stuff that makes all of our jaws just drop to the ground. And so with that introduction, I'm just going to hand it off to you and tell us how this case came to you. Okay, this case came to me before I was promoted to sergeant, and I was working narcotics at the time undercover. And in the course of working narcotics, and when you're doing undercover stuff, You develop a lot of informants, and you also develop a lot of working relationships with other agencies, such as the DEA or or sister cities detectives, because the drug cases traverse a lot of lines, and a lot of our cases cross over with each other, so we all know each other in the business. Well, while I was working my cases, the DEA in this area did a really big drug case involving an international informant and a general from a Southeast Asian country army over a million dollar heroin deal. And in the country where this general came from, General Lee was his name, they financed their units for pay their soldiers through the drug trade. And when you say that General Lee was financing his army with this drug trade, are they a rebel army kind of thing? No. No, like the regular army? In the country he was from, it was a regular army. From what I understand of this, the generals build their own little units with whatever money they can get. You know, there's probably not a big tax base in some of these places, so they do it through illicit drug trade or whatever else they can do to make money for their unit, for equipment and whatever else they want. I feel like when I learn stuff like that, it makes me feel naive because I think to myself, well, wait, you can't run an army like that. And then the people who live there would be like, it's not all neat and tidy all the time, Yardley. 
wake up. Yeah. And General Lee had a lot of access to heroin from where he was from. And the DEA got wind of it through a professional international informant. The plan the DEA put together at the time was that they were going to do a million-dollar drug deal. And the drug deal was to happen in the city right next to us. General Lee and his bodyguard just figured it's some sleepy little town, and we'll just come and meet. No one will think anything of it. We'll be a million dollars richer, and my little unit will be good, and I'll go home. And it all went down. I wasn't involved with it originally, but I knew all about it. It was pretty hush-hush because of the international consequences with it. And so General Lee and his bodyguard showed up in the neighboring town with the heroin and all the money and were arrested by the DEA. So they were subsequently put on federal holes and put in our county jail. And word had not got out at all about it. We were all told to be really quiet about it, obviously, since it was a government official who got arrested. And General Lee, he'd been in our custody for about three weeks when I got a call from an informant who was in jail. One of the things about informants, you develop these people and they call you about all kinds of things. When they're in jail or when they're out of jail, some to get out of charges, some to make money, and some just because they end up having a relationship with you that they like you and they want to tell you about some of the criminal activity that's going on the street. So my informant calls me from the jail. I hadn't heard from him a while and he get in trouble all the time. And he goes, hey, what do you know about this general that's in jail over here? And I go, what are you talking about? And he said, it's a general over here, and he's got his little bodyguard with him, and I'm housed with them right now. And I go, oh, really? Well, why don't you tell me what you know about him? He goes, I know they have a lot of money, and I know that they're going to plan an escape, and they're wanting me to help them. Of course they're planning an escape. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> and so I think, like, how are you going to escape from the jail? But this particular informant I'd worked with a long time, and I really trusted him. He told me the truth all the time. And... He told me that they had a guy on the outside named Peter, who they had met when they first got booked into jail, and he has since been released. My informant was able to provide his full name. He said they've already given him money to start their plan in place, but they're looking for somebody else who has access to a tow truck and another car. And so I said, well, why don't you tell me their whole plan? And he said, I can't right now because I'm using the common phone. And in the jail, they record the calls, so he doesn't want people listening in, right? Exactly. So I went over and saw him the next day. And my informant laid out a plan that Peter, who was on the outside, had already been paid a sum of money wired to him by friends of General Lee's to purchase two cars. And what they were looking for was a tow truck. The plan was that they would have one car put about six blocks away from the jail near a park. And in the trunk were provisions to last for two days, water and some bread and some things like that. And that the day before the jail breakout was to happen, there was going to be another car planted on a street that is visible from the viewing area of the jail where visiting is. And that car was to be left unlocked with a key in it. And the keys to the other car were all supposed to be in that car. The idea was they were trying to get somebody who had a tow truck because during visiting, they're all in what they call the annex over at the jail. And there's no fence by the annex and you can drive right up to it and park by it. And there is about a two foot window, probably about 12 feet high up and covered in bars, but people can see out of them. So what they wanted to do was have someone with the tow truck back up, hook the cable to the bars, pull it off. They were going to jump out 
and they were going to run to this car that was 100 yards away, get in it, get the keys to it, drive it to the park, park it in the common area of the park, walk across the park, and get into the trunk of the other car and wait for two days. Oh, my God. First of all, attaching something to the bars of a jailhouse window is like a cartoon. It is like a cartoon. And I'm guessing there's glass on the window, the two-foot window that's covered by bars. Yeah. Is that not hard to shatter glass? No, but they're encased in the frame, this big metal frame. And I think the whole thing would come out as one piece. That's how they're put in there. Got it. They had done some research about it, it looked like. And his story was incredible, but it was credible at the same time. The more I thought about this, the more I thought this might work. Like, this could actually work. Really? Yep. Because Wednesday night visiting, there was never a deputy down there because they were always shuttling people back and forth to visiting. And so they would have time to get out. And before the deputies could even react, they'd be out and into the car. And the deputies couldn't leave because they had all the other people out in the common area for visiting. So it would have been really difficult for the deputies to do anything about it other than call. So is Wednesday night a big visiting night? Yeah. Okay. The whole idea of their plan was they were going to wait two days for all the heat to be off. And then Peter was going to drive them in the trunk to another city that had a port where they were going to get on a ship that was bound back for Southeast Asia and get them home. The only problem was they didn't have access to a tow truck. (laughs) And so once I got this original information, I went to the U.S. Marshal's office to tell them what was going on. And I told them what the plan was to go forward to actually try to find this Peter guy and arrest him for the conspiracy to help these guys escape also. And so they were on board at that point. My informant had Peter's phone number, and he was supposed to try to find someone. I said, well, go back and tell them you know somebody who has a tow truck. And he went and did that call me back, and that somebody was me. And (laughs) I had another informant who actually did have a tow truck. So his tow truck was basically a one-ton pickup. He was kind of a seedy character who hung in that repo, kind of stealing cars, running drugs crowd. So he knew everybody in that whole crowd. And so I went and asked him if I could borrow his tow truck because what they wanted me to do was proved to Peter outside that I had a tow truck and I was on board with this whole thing. So I got the tow truck. We arranged originally to meet Peter and I was wired up and we met in the parking lot of a supermarket in the area. And it's the first time I met Peter, who was a convicted sex offender and not my kind of guy really, but we sat down and talked for a while. And he told me that he had already been given $10,000 wired to him to start this process. He had one car, but not the other car. The one for the grand getaway. Yeah. And at that point, I realized he's probably stealing the money because he said, I don't have enough for another car. And I go, well, how much money do you need for another car? And he said, well, I, I'm trying to get another 5000 out of him. I said, well, I have a car, which was going to be one of our undercover cars. And I also have a tow truck, but I need money for that stuff. And so I negotiated with Peter, who negotiated with General Lee, to wire $15,000 more. If General Lee is in jail, how is he allowed to wire money to a guy like Peter? He's not actually wiring. He's setting it all up. Oh, okay. They listened to people's phone calls over there, but I bet you nobody spoke the dialect, the language he was speaking. And then if they're speaking to so-called legal advice, they can't listen to it. So it's real easy to talk to people when you're as connected as the general. 
Hey folks, Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is Simply Safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash smalltown. That's simplysafe.com slash smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. I want to talk about Pros. Pros is the custom hair and skin beauty brand where you get on their website, answer a bunch of questions about where you live and how old you are and what kind of hair you have, what kind of hair you want to have. And then from millions of possible formulas, they create a formula just for you. So I'm lucky I have a lot of hair. Most days, my hair is the boss of me. So I need shampoo and conditioner that gets my hair to calm down a little bit. So I've been using Pros for a while, and one of my favorite things about it is you can choose your scent. They have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and then adjusts the formula. Also, Pros is a certified B Corp. It's cruelty-free, and it's the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So it's not only better for you, it's better for the planet. So, small town fam, Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash town. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash town. Do it. Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. It's gonna be summer soon, so the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. 
I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me. Lumi is baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH-balanced, so it's safe for your pits and your bits, which means you can use it below the belt. They have a lovely variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, my favorite, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. And the secret to Lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid. That's how it stops odor before it starts. So, small town fam, Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code, which is small town. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. So use code small town for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code small town at L-U-M-E deodorant.com. Do it. So my informant showed me how to run the boom on the tow truck and get all the cable off and everything. And I met with Peter the first time and he showed up with some money and he said, you'll get the rest when I get the tow truck. I said, no, I need the money for the tow truck and my trouble because I'm going to have to drive it and then I'm going to have to get away. You can't hire somebody else and they'll know about it. So he agreed with this and we separated and two days later, I had all the money. All the money was there. But where exactly does generally wire the money to? Because it can't go to an account that's tied to your police department because that would be obvious and dumb, right? No, you just send it to your uh, your normal personal account. <laughs> no. In a case like this, we will set up a phony account where they can wire the money. Kind of a front. But to the suspect, it looks like it's a regular, obviously not a law enforcement account. Correct. So Tuesday, the day before the thing was going to go down, Peter and I met. We went and we placed the car where it was supposed to be. I had notified the jail about what was happening, and they were in on the whole thing. So they set cameras up to watch General Lee and his bodyguard hoist each other up to these windows so they could see it happening, see us putting the car where we were supposed to, so they knew it was all on. So Peter and I placed the car where it was supposed to be, and actually waved to General Lee as we walked by that that's the car. And he's all happy. They've got it all on film of him looking at us through the window. And it was sitting there overnight, which really concerned me because we had to sneak back later and steal the keys out of it because I wasn't going to leave a car overnight there because in the morning it might be gone. You mean your people, your police department people? Yeah, our people. We locked the car up and took the keys out so nobody would actually take it. <laughs> but the other car... Peter took and planted by the park. 
And it had all this water and bread and little bleach bottles for him to pee in, I guess. I don't know what. He had all this planned for him. And they were going to sit there for two days. Then people wouldn't be looking for him around there anymore. And they could just drive out of there. So Peter plants the other car, and I drive him back to his little shack outside town. And at that point, I go, you're driving him down to this other city? And he said, yep, but I'm not taking him to that city. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, you realize how much money these people have? And I go, well, they seem to be able to get whatever you want. And then Peter says to me, I've already arranged it. I've got a buddy who's got a ranch in another state. I'm going to take him out there, and we're going to hold him for more money. Oh, my God. This is all on tape, by the way. When he's talking to me, I'm wired. And I'm guessing they're going to be stuck in the trunk for this road trip. They're never going to get out of the trunk until the money gets there, probably. This is going to be a long drive, but ta-da, surprise, we're not near a port. We're at a ranch, and I need this amount of money to cut you loose. Yeah. That's right, if you're even still alive in the trunk there. <laughs> That'd just be, hey, uh, how long is it supposed to take to get to this port? <laughs> well, it's supposed to be like eight or nine hours. Dude, we've been in this car for 30 hours, man. And they were going to a desert state, which would have been a little toasty. Toasty. Mm-hmm. But I go, you're taking a big chance. This guy's probably pretty connected. And that little bodyguard of his might take care of you. He's not, I'm not worried at all about it. This guy was a doughboy. I don't know what he was thinking he was going to do, but he's thinking he's going to get rich off this whole scheme. Peter did. Peter did, yeah. yes. And um, he asked me if I wanted in on it. And I said, no, I want my cut and I want out of it. I don't want to lose my tow truck and I don't want to get arrested. He goes, I understand. I keep thinking Peter knows that you're a cop, like the jailhouse informant knows, but he doesn't know that. He thinks you're just a common criminal like he is. Correct. So Wednesday rolls around, and our plan was that the jail knew about it. I was going to pull in with the tow truck, back up, actually hook the cable up to the window. At that point, deputies were going to come out and take me down at gunpoint and arrest me. (laughs) So I rolled up, and they had the cameras on, and General Lee and his bodyguard, they got some benches, some other people to help them up against the window, and they were all ready to do their jump out. They were up against the window when I was hooking the chain up, and they looked so happy and so close to getting free. And then the sheriffs came out and (laughs) arrested me in the parking lot. They handcuffed me and took me away. They went straight in, and the marshals separated General Lee and his bodyguard and handcuffed them, and they were like, oh. Oh, shit. We really screwed this up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. When you, as the tow truck driver, are hooking the hook up to the bars, is nobody going, why is that dude hooking a hook up to bars on the jail? There was nobody there. And, and that's why I, I tell you this might have worked, because there was nobody in the parking lot. And it was really easy to walk up onto the boom of the tow truck and wrap the cable around. And you'd have to get some speed up to pull it off. But there wasn't anybody out there. Not one person. There was surveillance from inside the jail, but by the time they would have got anybody out there because it was visiting, I'd already had the thing off and been running along with them. I'm just picturing you climbing up the boom of this and being just a few inches from them on the other side of the bars and windows and this look of a puppy in the dog pound that's like, take me, please. (laughs) You'll be free soon, yeah. We were almost face to face when I got up there. They looked so happy. Meanwhile, Peter is sitting over at the park waiting for his meal ticket to show up. And the police were watching him. 
And once we got released, we drove over to the park and Peter sees it's me and two other guys who are police officers, undercover police officers. They're from the U.S. Marshal's office, actually. And we take him into custody and he is like flabbergasted that I was ever a police officer. <laughs> Peter ends up getting conspiracy to help these guys escape. General Lee and his bodyguard got federal escape charges put on them. They got separated in the federal system and taken away on their drug charges and their escape charges. I know the general got sent to a federal prison and I don't know where his bodyguard got sent. It was all just a really stupid plan that may have worked actually. And they went to a lot of trouble planning it. The unfortunate thing, they planned it with someone who was a police informant. <laughs> but while this was all going down, my informant got out of jail. And we had all this money that I had been given, like $9,000 still that I hadn't used up of their money. And I gave it over to the marshal's office. And I called the marshal's office and I said, hey, what are you guys going to do with that money? It's obviously criminal evidence of this thing, and that thing's going to be adjudicated fast. I go, you ought to cut a reward to my informant, because if he hadn't called us, they might have tried this, and they might have did it. And he said, sure, it doesn't mean anything to us. So he basically the next day comes down, gives me a check for $9,000 in the name of my informant. The whole thing. The whole thing. And $9,000 to an informant is like winning the lottery. So my informant, he's like more than happy. He's not even named in this thing. So even if they came after anybody, no one even really knows who he is. Because once I introduced myself to Peter, he was out of it. And Peter knows probably, but Peter's got his own problems because he was going to kidnap General Lee and his bodyguard. So I gave the money to the informant. Everyone's happy. Great case all over with. Well, the next two days after I gave my informant, I get a phone call from the marshal's office. And he goes, hey, um, Dave, you still got that money? I said, no, I gave it to my friend. Well, does he still got it? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, uh, I wasn't supposed to give it to him just yet. What? <laughs> and he goes, could you go get it back? And, and I did what you did. I laughed. I said, that money's gone. <laughs> I guarantee you. $9,000 in the hands of someone like him was gone before it even... Left the bank. Yeah. And so I called my informant. I said, how much money you got left? He goes, why are you asking me? I said, just how much money you got left? He goes, well, I don't know. And I said, you know, the marshal that we talked to, he wants it back. He started laughing. He goes, are you <laughs> kidding me? He goes, it's all gone. <laughs> it's been two days. It's been two days. But, you know, he probably had a new 68 Nova and, right. and <laughs> something else. But uh, I don't know what they ended up doing about all that. I know there was trouble on the Marshall's end, but on our end, it was all good. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
So General Lee goes to a prison across the country. His bodyguard goes somewhere else. Are they then extradited to their Southeast Asian country? They do their time here, which they're still doing, I'm sure. And, you know, I guess you never know what happens in a case like that. They could go somewhere and end up giving information to anyone, all up to CIA, I suppose, about the operations. You know, the story is about all these people and how they're so far apart, yet so close when they end up in the same boat. Sort of cut from the same cloth. Yeah, they're the same type of people, and they will double-cross you in a second if it furthers their cause. And it doesn't really matter. So when you're locked up and you have to put your trust in people you just met, you know, chances are it's not going to work out. What kind of time did Peter get? Peter got nine years for his part in this. And it was funny because we wrote up the whole thing about the attempted kidnapping. So General Lee and his bodyguard, they would have got that in their discovery that, hey, by the way, this guy that was going to help you out was going to keep you for see how much more money he could milk out of your people to get you back. Careful who you do business with. That's right. Exactly right. What was the original plan to get back? So if the original heroin deal would have gone well yeah. and they wouldn't have got hooked up by the DEA, were they going to fly back? Were they going to hop on a boat? They're going to fly back. They flew into town and they were going to fly back. So for our listeners who can't see you, Sergeant David sitting across from me is very clean cut. He's in great shape. He's, you know, clean shaven. So when you're a drug cop, what do you look like? I was a little scruffier at that time. People would mistake me for a biker, I think. <laughs> and I had people tell me when I did undercover things before that they never thought I was a cop, but they were afraid I was going to rob them. Oh, wow. That's, that's some clout. <laughs> that's some clout. But, but it was the most fun I had as a police officer when I worked that stuff. It was absolutely the best job I've had in this job. Interesting. And then you got promoted and then just boo. Yeah. Well, the thing of it is, is when you're working those kind of cases and you have informants, you are as close as you'll ever get to being part of the criminal world and knowing what's going on and knowing how they react. And you learn so much about how they think and how they do things. And it really helps you in your career down the line, because especially when you're interviewing people, you know what they're thinking and how they come to the decisions that they do a lot of times. I would imagine that you've been in situations, you know, flash money. What's that? Flash money is when you're making a big drug deal, like you're getting introduced to somebody who's going to buy drugs, and these people want to believe you have the money before they bring the drugs. A lot of times you have to show them money before they go get the drugs. And the biggest thing you have to worry about, there's a robbery at that time. They'll show you money, and there was never going to be any drugs. There's always going to be just a robbery. And so you really have to be careful about that kind of stuff. Those things have to be really set up well for the safety of the officer doing it and everybody else around. And so every time you do these deals, when you're doing undercover stuff, there's always a big threat because that happens all the time in that world and it doesn't get reported. You gotta go tell the cops, you know, I was gonna do a $100,000 drug deal and they, they stole my money and didn't give me any drugs. You know? <laughs> and so that happens all the time though. You can kind of see how they're going sometimes with the way they plan it, if they're trying to get you away from a public place or something like that. That's why you always would do it in a public place. So there's less likely that something like that will happen. I've told Yardley before that I think a lot of just regular people out there would be surprised where big drug deals happen, where big plans are hatched, supermarket parking lots, where you're actually meeting up and people who are unaware of what's actually going on right under their nose. Can you give us an example? Well, for instance, Bait and Switch, that episode we did a couple seasons ago. That's right, with Detective Justin. That was a drug deal 
that was going down on a weekend afternoon at a packed Walmart parking lot. Nobody had a clue of what was going on until the shot was fired. That's so crazy. It's a little creepy to think that you're just loading your groceries into your trunk and feet away from you. Some bad shit's going down. Yeah, and I think it's a way for them to hide in plain sight. There's so much going on. There's so many people walking around. Nobody's really paying attention to you. If you're in an empty parking lot and you're the only two cars there and you're right next to each other, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb a little bit. Right. But if you can blend into a packed Walmart parking lot where nobody's paying attention, city parks, all kinds of different places, you're going to blend right in. Right. Hide in plain sight. It's amazing. Yeah. And a lot of it will be just, there will never be an actual meeting. There will be an exchange of cars is all. I park my car here. They park their car here. We go out. We patch out of the mall, switch keys, and off we go. So there's no actual meeting a lot of times. Oh, my God. It's pretty clever. Back when you were working undercover, you obviously had children. Yep. Is that something that you're conscious of when you're in these situations? You're sitting in the backseat of a car. You got two bad guys on each side of you. And does that creep into your mind when you're doing these things? It does, but it's no different than being a police officer in any situation. I mean, it's one of those things where you always worry about what might happen. And if you don't, you're crazy. And you think about it and you're always kind of on your toes no matter what situation. Obviously, if you're sitting with people you just don't know and you're going to do a high-dollar drug deal or any kind of drug deal, you're kind of putting yourself out there more. But, you know, I always had a plan. I always had a plan, and I don't know if it'll work, but you got to do that. You always have a plan if something starts going bad. Are these guys doing security on you, too? I mean, they're always checking you out. Oh, yeah. And wanting to know if you're a cop. Well, one particular case where I was buying heroin from a group of people, I bought a lot of heroin a couple times, and finally the one time the guy that I was buying from takes me outside, and he's just staring at me. And he always brought another guy with him. You know, he always had another guy with him who always had the dope on him. This is a guy, one of the guys thought I was going to rob him. But he looked at me and he just looked at me and he goes, you don't use. And I said, neither do you. I go, I'm in it for the money. And if you got a problem with that, you just got to kind of go back at him with it. And, you know, they can tell if you don't use. And you'll get in situations where they'll ask you to use with them. What do you do? You can't. Right. You know, you just say, hey, look, I got to see my PO. I got to piss in the cup. I'm not doing it right now. PO is parole officer. Yeah. Or I don't do that. You got to talk them out of it. And these shows that you see where they do, not going to work out. We wouldn't do that. Case isn't worth it. Right. And are you carrying a gun when you're meeting with these people? Always. But they all, all carry guns, so that's not unusual? No. Most likely. And then sometimes they'll want to touch you like they're gonna they want to see if you have a wire or something like that on and you just say don't touch me you know you just kind of like in prison you wouldn't let people touch you like that look i don't trust you any more than you trust me so you just leave me alone and i'll leave you alone let's just do our thing that is just nerves of steel <laughs> it's fun it's a lot of fun you got to be agile think on your feet really nimble yeah did you always want to be a cop when you were growing up no not always I wanted to play pro sports, but I wasn't good enough, so I had to find something to entertain me. <laughs> He's pretty good, though, I'll tell you. I mean, we played softball. He's still driving the ball out of the yard playing softball. That's not happening anymore, trust me. Now it's his sons. <laughs> they hit rockets. That's true. I've heard your sons are really good at baseball. Yeah, they're, they're 
They're more athletic than I ever was. Ah, brilliant. Oh, Sergeant David, it's so good to see you. What a fantastic, like, I don't know. It seems as though if you wrote that in a movie, people would go like, that was a great movie. That, of course, never <laughs> happened. It's a funny story. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like the Keystone Cops except the Keystone Criminals. Yes. It's quite cinematic. In its bumblingness, it has a lightness to it. It's like what Dan said. You would never know those things happen here, you know, and nobody knows there's a million dollar drug deal going down in this little sleepy town with an international figure. That's just crazy. Thank you so much. That is just fantastic. Thank you, Sarge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that story is just entertaining. I've heard it before, but it cracks me up. Is it legendary in this agency? I don't know. I don't know what it's legendary. There's so many stories and half of them are BS, but that really happened. I can, you can trust me on that. Sergeant Dave, the biker tow truck driver. I know. Are there photos somewhere? There's actually, I have a, this is how long ago it happened. There's VHS tape of me getting arrested out in the parking lot. I might pay to watch that. So good. I would pay. That's amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Logan Heftel, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor and The Real Nick Smitty. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soren Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. And join the Small Town Fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Small Town Dicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.